Welcome to Current Affairs. This is a show I've been trying to launch forever. If you're in the Facebook group, we have talked about it. We were hoping to launch it as a weekly series months ago. And it is a offshoot of Love Murder that is talking about true crime stories that are happening right now. Jesse, I know one of the challenges for you when you're researching our normal show is that because of how comprehensive your research is and how much family backstory you get into, it usually has to be cases that have been resolved for a while, pretty much long enough for people to write books about them. Exactly. You know, I love a good true crime book. It's my favorite means of research. And that means that when you guys request a case that's newer or ongoing. I usually can't do it. So this is a way to introduce some of the cases where I'm okay saying, you know what? I don't know that detail because it's breaking right now. After a bunch of discussion, we decided that we'd be regularizing this series as a Patreon bonus feature and we'll be aiming to do it monthly. Yes. And that doesn't mean that we won't always also release it or release a different version to the general public as well especially when there's something like today where there's a very big and important news story breaking. Cool. So this will be for all of the listeners. This one's for all the listeners. We're also planning to highlight some organizations or individuals that we think are doing heroic work, and we want to make sure that you all know about them. That's also something that's been on the docket for a long time, and this is a perfect place to do it, which is another reason why I I think we're going to probably thread the line between some for the Patreon and some to the general public. Today, however, it's going to be a totally different format because what I imagine for current affairs is that we'll actually cover two to three ongoing lately in the news cases and make sure that we're highlighting organizations and individuals who are doing good work. But today it's all about one thing. One of the most famous cases in the world, certainly for true crime podcast fans, got an absolutely major update. So we decided we wanted to go back and do a little bit of a 101 for all of you guys. Also to remind myself, because it has been years since I listened to Serial, and then give you the update of what's happening right now. Let's do it. If you ask people who know nothing about true crime, honestly, who know nothing about podcasts, to name one thing that they know about true crime podcasts, or true crime or podcasts, (laughs) chances are good that they will say, Serial. Released in 2014 by journalist Sarah Koenig, Serial became a cultural phenomenon. It followed the cases of Adnan Saeed, an inmate who had been convicted of killing an ex-girlfriend while they were still in high school in 1999, but who had always maintained his innocence. Serial would go on to inspire an entire genre of podcasts, while becoming the most downloaded podcast of its type ever. At this point... I don't even know what the count is, but almost four full years ago in late 2018, the 12-episode first season had been downloaded more than 420 million times. Whoa. So I can't even imagine what it is now, and it's actually rocketed back to top of the charts right now. But what about the case that sparked the series? That case saw a dramatic update this week as a Baltimore judge overturned Adnan Saeed's conviction. So let's do everybody's favorite thing and get a little bit of background to explain how we got here. Yay. And it's something that I get to help with this time. Yes. The beauty of these current affairs that Andy and I are full partners in this presenting the cases together, which is very exciting. So I am very excited to toss it to you, Cassette. Let's get it. 
1999, Woodlawn High School student Heyman Lee was found strangled and buried in Lincoln Park, Baltimore, Maryland. Lee was an incredible, bright, warm, smart, athletic student, and the discovery of her body devastated the community. That pain was made worse when Lee's ex-boyfriend, Adnan Saeed, was arrested for the murder. At the time, Saeed was considered a totally upstanding member of the community. The prosecutor's case was that Saeed couldn't handle it when Lee broke up with him, and on the fateful night, he snapped. They struggled in a car, he strangled her, and then buried her in the park. Saeed's first trial in 1999 ended in a mistrial, but then in 2000, a jury found him guilty and a judge sentenced him to life plus 30. He has been in jail ever since. Before Serial, Saeed had appealed numerous times. One of the common complaints was around ineffective counsel. His original defense attorney failed to investigate at least one potential alibi witness, failed to cross-examine the state in a key context, and would later be disbarred. However, in the wake of Serial's release, there was obviously much more interest in the case. In late 2015, Saeed was granted a hearing to determine his eligibility for a new trial based on a number of questions of the original evidence, including the reliability of cell tower evidence. That hearing happened in February of 2016, and what was supposed to be a two-day hearing lasted five days. In June 2016, Saeed's request for a new trial was granted, with the judge ruling that Saeed's attorney had rendered ineffective assistance for failing to cross-examine the state around cell tower location evidence. Another consideration was the failure of the defense to interview a potential alibi witness, someone who had come forward during serial to reveal that the defense had ghosted her after she offered in writing to testify on Saeed's behalf. Two years later, in March 2018, The Maryland Court of Special Appeals, which is the state's second highest court, upheld the request for a new trial. But in March 2019, in a split ruling, the Court of Appeals, which is the state's highest court, reversed the ruling and denied the request for a new trial. They argued that while, yes, the counsel was deficient, they didn't believe that it was enough to sway the jury. In November, the Supreme Court declined to take up the case, affirming the Maryland Court of Appeals decision. Another interesting thing that happened during this time, documents that the Baltimore Sun got their hand on in 2019 showed that in mid-2018, Maryland prosecutors tested multiple items tied to the murder and Saeed's DNA did not match any of the DNA present. Unreal. So that is where we are. However, outside of the media spotlight, something else was happening. Erica Suter was a public defender and director of the Innocence Project Clinic at the University of Baltimore School of Law. She had been working with state attorney Marilyn Mosby's office to reduce Saeed's term because of a new law that allowed those convicted before 18 to request that the court modify their punishment. That investigation turned up more than anticipated. Current Maryland prosecutors found that at the time of the original investigation, authorities and the original prosecutors of the case knew of at least two alternative suspects and had known since 1999. They would file a motion to overturn the conviction that had more details about these suspects. One of the suspects had threatened Lee, saying, quote, he would make her disappear, he would kill her. Another one of the suspects was a serial rapist, convicted in a series of sexual assaults after Saeed's trial. 
Police discovered Lee's car near the residence of one of the alternative suspects, the state's motion said. Now, just to be crystal clear, this is illegal. The prosecution is required by law to turn over any and all evidence it finds that could be favorable to the defense. This is a type of misconduct known as a Brady violation and is treated as extremely serious in our justice system. The fact that the prosecution in Saeed's case sat on not just one, but two different alternative suspects without giving the defense the chance to investigate is a huge violation. In addition to that, there were also complaints against the unreliability of the cell phone tower location data that was such a key part of the prosecutor's case the first time around, as well as questions of the veracity of testimony of some of the witnesses. Based on all of this, this week, Baltimore judge Melissa Finn overturned the conviction. Finn said it was in the interest of fairness and justice. Saeed has been released on home detention with a GPS monitor because now the Baltimore state attorney has to decide whether to drop charges or choose to try him again. They have 30 days to decide. State attorney Marilyn Mosby has not yet committed to dismissing the case but has admitted that much of the original evidence is now useless. In either case, she called the decision a demonstration of her office's commitment to building a more equitable system, even if it involves admissions of failures. She said, quote, justice is always worth the price paid for its pursuit. Oh, hell yeah, that's an amazing quote. Unbelievable. Not everyone is happy about this. Brian Frosch, the current state attorney general who had previously defended the state against Saeed's appeals, argued that there was no Brady violation and that there were other problems with Mosby's office's motion. Quote, neither state's attorney Mosby nor anyone from her office bothered to consult with either the assistant state's attorney who prosecuted the case or with anyone in my office regarding these alleged violations, Brian Frosch said. The file in this case was made available on several occasions to the defense. Hayes' family was also dismayed. An attorney representing them had asked for a postponement, arguing that his West Coast clients hadn't had enough notice to make travel plans. Judge Finn denied the motion. Allowed to speak before the attorneys, Young Lee said that he felt blindsided and betrayed by the prosecution's decision to seek to vacate Saeed's conviction, He choked up as he spoke to the judge, this is not a podcast for me. This is real life. Lee said that he wasn't against them continuing to investigate, but in the meantime, the conviction should stand. Every day when I think it's over, it always comes back, he said. It's killing me. Ugh, I mean, this is horrible all around. This is horrible all around because I think even prior to the reversal of the conviction, that her family was having a very difficult time with her murder being entertainment, being the most popular podcast fodder in the entire world, which is so understandable and breaks my heart, then to have it skyrocket back into the media. And this time, they're lost insofar as that the person that they were told for the last 17 years is potentially not... Hayes' murderer, there's a, obviously a very, very good chance that he was wrongfully convicted and spent many years in prison. So therefore, Adnan and his family are huge victims in this. But we can't forget Hay in all of this media circus and what's lost to the family. 
Well, and if they can't use a lot of the evidence that existed, it's like the murder might always be out there. Yeah, I would really like it if somehow the law enforcement and prosecutor were communicating with the Lee family about what other suspects they have and how they're following up on those individuals. Because to be left with, well, we don't know, we might not pursue another trial with Saeed and there might not be another arrest made in this case is absolutely heartbreaking. It's taking the conclusion and the semblance of closure that so many victims' families hope for and tossing it away. So sad. There's probably a lot more that will happen to this story. First, we need to see if Mosby's office will try Saeed again. Then, if there is another trial, that process will take time and create its own set of appeals. As we heard, the state attorney general is incredibly angry about this, so I anticipate there is a lot more to come. But it's still a pretty remarkable moment, certainly for Saeed and Lee's families, but also in terms of the changing nature of the justice system and the public's relationship with it. Absolutely. You're going to love this next section, Andy. There was a Vox article written on September 20th by Asia Romano, and she asked what the role of Serial was in all of this. The article concluded that the most important part of Serial was decades of criminal justice reform and a willingness of police and prosecutors to reevaluate the actions of their predecessors in the pursuit of real justice. I mean, yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. However, they do note that part of the momentum for those types of reforms can be linked to shows like Serial. They wrote, There's no room for a narrative as simple as Serial saved Adnan Saeed, but the role of true crime in this case, and this case's role in the growth of true crime, is still worth pausing to consider. The change in attitude evinced by Baltimore's prosecution throughout the second wave of this case both represents and reflects a huge cultural shift in attitudes towards criminal prosecutions. The advent of the true crime trend has made millions of Americans more aware than ever of the limits and flaws of the justice system. True crime fans across the country are now loud advocates for thorough investigations, for throwing out junk techniques like polygraphs, for reopening cold cases, for rehabilitating inmates rather than punishing them. Because of Serial, other journalist-led true crime podcasts have had a direct impact on the cases they've investigated, like In the Dark, which helped free Curtis Flowers from death row in 2019. I know you listened to that one, right, yeah. Andy? It was devastating. It's not an exaggeration to say that all of the change that has happened in part directly because of Adnan Saeed and the impact that Serial had on our cultural understanding of the justice system. So when we take a broad look at the impact Maryland's criminal justice system reform and the direct impact it just had on Adnan Saeed's incarceration, we also face the startling realization that perhaps Saeed himself and the huge profound cultural impact of his case directly impacted Maryland's broad criminal justice reform. That, Asia Romano wrote, somehow makes this ending to Serial, one of the biggest true crime phenomenons of the century, feel all the more fitting. Whew. Oh, it's heavy. It's heavy. It's thorny. And it's complicated. And I think that there's a lot of celebration for Adnan Saeed. And there should be. I mean, this is a moment that should be celebrated. So should any criminal justice reform. These processes are complicated and necessary. 
but yeah, I still can't. My heart just really goes out to the Lee family during this devastating time in their lives. Yeah. I'm trying to be as hopeful as possible that there will, looking at the other side of the table, there has been true crime documentaries and true crime podcasts that have explored people who have gotten away with stuff for a long time and has outed them in their crimes. And I feel like potentially, I'm just trying to stay really positive for the Lee family and hope that some miracle like what happened in the jinx with Robert Durst. Yes. Yes. Great. Great example. Where he admits that he murdered those women just comes to light so that they can finally have the closure that they deserve with their beautiful daughter and sister. Absolutely. And I hope that there's journalists out there that are starting to prepare a new podcast about the search for Hayes' real killer. And obviously there are unsolved murders all over this country, all over the world. And I got to give it to our fellow podcasters that are doing that hard work. Yeah. Andy and I, guys, we are not investigative journalists. I'm pretty sure we said it on our first show. So unfortunately, that's not the work that we are partaking in, but we would love to throw our support behind the people doing that incredibly hard work that is hopefully bringing voices for the victims to justice, as well as closure for the families involved. And finally, all of the actual people working in the justice system and with the Innocence Project and trying to find the truth constantly. Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I I do think you're right to bring up the jinx because I love that there is a culture now of exposés of these specifically powerful men, powerful white men for the most part, who are being brought down by investigative journalist pieces, those writing articles for magazines, those podcasting, Harvey Weinstein, all of those cases that you're correct insofar as there's been a turning of the tide where because there's so many individual journalists now and people doing it for their own podcast or for their own book that people are no longer scared by people in positions of power. I mean, some people still are if you're still in the system, but there's a lot of people outside of the system that are bringing a voice to this and pointing the finger at those powerful and wealthy individuals. And exposing the fuck out of them. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So I think on that note is where we're going to wrap today, Andy. Yep. As we stated at the top, in general, these shows will feature a few cases as well as a few other segments, such as highlighting cold cases or organizations doing such great work. But because this is such a huge story that so many of you are talking about, we thought it made sense just to focus on this for now and get it out there. Definitely let us know what you think of this format, other cases that you'd like to hear about. I know some of you I have already rebuffed in the past saying, yeah, that's great. It's really interesting. I'm following it, but I'm probably not going to cover it yet. Now we have an outlet for it. So remind me of prior cases that you wanted to hear about and let us know what else is on your minds. Thanks for listening. And remember, trust trust your gut. gut. We love you guys. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.